This podcast is brought to you by Focusrite, legendary makers of class-leading audio interfaces and mic pre's. Check out Focusrite's Red Range, their finest interfaces to date, along with the Claret Thunderbolt range and Scarlet, the best-selling USB audio interface range in the world. Focusrite makes music easy to make. Learn more at Focusrite.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Tycho Scott Hansen is a busy man. As the frontman, principal songwriter, producer, as well as the creator of the band's album art and live visuals, he has no shortage of things on his plate. Online publisher Jeff Stanfield sat down with Scott on a morning before a show in Seattle to talk about his process, translating his brand of ambient electronic music into a compelling live show, and the intersection of music and visual art. This audio recording was not originally tracked with the intent of using for a podcast. It was recorded solely for transcription for our print interview. Please forgive any balance issues, background sounds, or lack of clarity. Enjoy. curious how you, uh, you know, your first early entries and forays into recording and making music. Yeah, so uh, when I came back from San Francisco and moved back to downtown Sacramento, uh, that's when I really started kind of playing around with stuff. I started messing with like drum machines and uh, synthesizers. And then I got, I finally got a sampler and I think that's when it kind of took off for me because I realized I could like record stuff back into it and that, that was when like the concept of chopping things up and moving them around. That, and I think that's what really was the first thing that made me think like, okay, this is something I can do. Like I can actually make musical compositions instead of just play with this stuff. Right, and besides the sampler, were you using other, were you using four tracks or? No, so I never used any recording medium before that. I mean, I, I transferred stuff to tape uh, and mini disc, mm-hmm. like once it was done. But like, you know, when it came to composing, I never used anything uh, before that sampler. And then I got, I eventually got a computer and learned that. I didn't realize computers could re- record audio at the time because mine was so uh, so old. I don't think it probably could. Were you always sort of drawn to uh, just instrumental music? Yeah. Well, I mean, no. I, I listened to rock and singer songwriter stuff and folk like most of my my life. But then when I went away to college in San Francisco, I I kind of started going to shows and stuff like electronic shows uh, and realized like, oh, this, it was just like a music, type of music I'd never heard. And that's what piqued my interest and got me interested in making music. Cause that was, that was the only music I'd ever heard that I was like, I think I could at least begin to try to dissect that. Or it's like, you know, with normal music, I didn't play guitar or any of those instruments at the time. So it, was, it seemed really foreign and basically impossible to break into that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So on, on uh, your latest record, you know, what, what was the process like? How do you start? 
Uh, so, like with this one, um, you know, I work with Zach a lot now. Zach Brown, mm -hmm. uh, he's from Sacramento too. Um, and so, you know, usually I've, I kind of work up some ideas and then I spend, you know, a few months with them, like turning them into something that I would consider like a, a comp at least, you know, like a, a demo. And then Zach will come in and, and we'll start playing back and forth with the idea. And then I'll take it back for a while and, and then do the, like the full production and, and arrangement. And then then he'll come back and we'll, we'll basically strip it down and try to figure out what it's about and like take out everything that doesn't need to be there and just like make it cleaner and, and kind of for the final version. And then we, we've actually started like on the last two records or the last ones we mainly worked together on. And, and we we went up to Tahoe the first uh, for like the first couple weeks on both of those and just kind of tried to jam and like figure stuff out. And that was kind of the first time I've gone about it that way. And that, that was pretty fun. It Some of it worked out, some of it didn't, but it, it's really good because it, it lays a nice foundation for, for the rest of the stuff. And are you inspired by a melody or are you, is there a sound? You know, are you starting with, you know, sitting down with a synth or a guitar and coming up with a melody or translating a melody that was in your head or, or are you... Uh... Yeah, it's probably half and half now for a guitar and, and synths. I, I, I've really gotten into guitar over the last uh, probably 10 years just focusing on that just because like I got so used to keyboards that it's like you kind of start to play the same thing over, or at least I do start yeah. to play the same thing over and over again. But also I think the thing that really inspires me the beginning for the initial kind of spark is the timbre you know like the, the actual sound and the the texture and the effects and all that so like that's usually it kind of like writes itself at that point like you'll start playing a synth patch that's really interesting and and then it's just like this this melody comes out of it and that's usually kind of the basis or or you'll start playing into a pedal ch chain and, and you're like whoa and you hear this echo doing this thing and it makes you think oh maybe this should go that way so i think i think that's usually what really it's is the is the spark for everything is is the initial kind of like the sound and then the, the melody comes out of that such a visual aspect to your music and to me there's like a really clear color connection to the music and almost presents itself as color to me when I listen to it. Um, I, I know you're a visual artist as well. How does the, the visual or does the visual sort of inform your, your writing? Yeah, I think I, I wouldn't say that either <clears throat> really informs each other. I think they come from the same place. So it's, it's just a different, you know, it's a flip side of the, the same or two different sides of the same coin or whatever. Uh, I think there's definitely a lot of overlap and, and there's instances where, uh, especially lately, I feel like I create the artwork after the fact most of the time now. <clears throat> so, you know, I'm, I'm definitely trying to create something that, that captures this, the spirit of what I, what I think the music is about. But at the same time, it's never like this is a one-to-one -one translation. It's more just like filling in gaps maybe left by the, the sound or, or vice versa. How for you do, do, the, do the sounds and the composition sort of translate into a story. You know, how how is the how is the story developed for you that way? Yes, yeah, so I think I think there's two different types of songs <clears throat> that, that end up on the records, and, and I think the uh, the first one would be things that are like very, for me at least like really personal, emotional kind of spaces where it's like okay, this is like kind of speaking to this maybe not an event or a specific thing, but just this kind of emotional space, and those don't really seem to have a story for me. They're more they really just kind of hit me in the gut, you know, and it's like. You just feel you get taken back to this like this feeling, but then there's others that are more of these like open-ended soundscape type things, and I think those, when I'm making them, they are just like wow, this is 
really interesting. I keep following that path and, and adding and taking these turns. And by the end of it, that's when, you know, after I've had a, you know, you listen to it a million times, it becomes kind of numb. But uh, but after the album's done and you've had, had some space, then I'll come back to it because I have to do the visuals for it, for the, the show. And so the visuals don't always reflect exactly what I'm hearing, but basically that, that's when the songs start to take on almost like a narrative and you can see this movie being played along to them. And I actually, so I have all these that kind of, Usually I'll, I'll write that down or like storyboard it up. So I have all those, but you know, I haven't had the time or the resources to really make like a true narrative, like film type thing. But it's something I hope to be able to do eventually. But there's some songs, you know, like Montana or, uh, or Rings or Epoch. Those, those really have a very solid narrative element to them for me at least. You talk about nostalgia and longing and childhood and natural environment. I mean, how do you work to translate those emotions and narrative into sound? You know, I guess one of the things that I noticed, um, especially following your social media, is that you're often posting beautiful landscapes and stuff. And uh, I think that, I mean, listening to the music and then seeing through your eyes and your camera, often there's a, there's a marriage there. Those two things go together well. Yeah. You know, how much, how much does the natural world influence your writing? And, I think, I mean, they're inextricable and, and I think I'm not sitting there like being like, oh, this is, you know, I'm writing about the beach or I'm writing about this, but I, I just think those things were the, you know, the natural world and rural areas was the backdrop of my my uh, childhood and, and, you know, so that was always something that I feel like was like core to, to my existence or I saw that as like that was the whole world to me. So like I think that's where all, <clears throat> all this stuff is coming from, whether I'm trying or not, but I do think that it's becoming more like that's the kind of like palette and now these emotional spaces are becoming more of the content because I just I feel like as I get older and, I, and I've gone through like this iterative process of like speaking to all these elements that that were inspiring me at the time I've I've drawn kind of turned more and more inward and, and trying to like work through you know some more personal themes or just things that I feel like are, are more of like an internal space and, and I don't think that's been a conscious choice that just seems to have been what's happened over over the last couple of records so I think you know those spaces still inspire me but I, I don't it used to be like I was truly like okay how do I you know evoke this this idea or whatever and then I was mixing that with the other stuff but now I think it's becoming it's kind of turning in the other direction I think I think this record might have been the end of that kind of path and and now it'll be some different formula of those, you know, some different mix of those two things, but I, but up until now, that's kind of been the, the way I've been turning. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's sort of a, a unique challenge, I guess, because you're not playing vocal music or things with lyrics, you know, how do you, how do you present new ideas? Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, for me, it, it goes all, it's back to the sound, you know, the, like the textures and, and the actual, it's not just really about the notes, because, I mean, I'm sure if you broke the music down, there's not, it's not the most complex music in the world, it's not like a, you know, like a music PhD would probably like be like, uh, that's pretty simple stuff. But you know, like for me, it's about the engineering and the and the sound design and all those things. I think that's just as important because, you know, there was music like Boards of Canada and Ulrich Schnauss and the, the stuff that, that originally uh, inspired me where you could just hear, or Fotech especially, I think he was the first person where I was like, what, how, what is that sound? Like I've never heard anything like that. He was a German bass guy. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, you just hear these bass tones and these textures behind it and it would be like literally just one pad like one chord for like five minutes but it was like so interesting and it moved in such a such an interesting way that it was uh it was really powerful
how do you pull this all off live? So yeah, that was, uh, <clears throat> you know, I used to just be me in a laptop and it was not, and a keyboard, and it was like not something I was really like proud of on a nightly basis. I wasn't like, that was cool, or like I can see why somebody would enjoy this. It was more like, because I think back in the day, like, the artists that I was into, I'd go see them live and, and it would be like, okay, it's just the guy there, but it didn't matter because you just wanted to hear the music on a loud sound system and the guy's actually there and it's like, there's something about that that was enough for me. But then I saw Ronnie Size represent, um, like 1996, I think. They came to San Francisco and played at Bimbo's and they had, yeah, I had, you know, I was just expecting because I'd seen LTJ Buckham and, uh, and a couple other kind of like English DJ, drum and bass DJs. And it was just them basically DJing. And so he had like a drummer and a bassist and all this stuff. And I, it just blew my mind. And I think that planted the seed. It wasn't until maybe a decade later that, that I, I hooked up with Zach. Uh, and, and we start, you know, I basically just started asking him to come over and kind of riff, open-ended riff over songs. Like we didn't even have songs together yet. And uh, he was just playing over them. And then we slowly started, it was kind of like, oh, this is cool. And so we, I started having him play on stuff for the records and then, <clears throat> When we first, we got our first offer to play a tour, I think it was open up for Little Dragon in like 2011. And we we hired a drummer and, uh, that, you know, it kind of just evolved from there. I think I saw, the, the other person was Caribou. At the same time, he had been doing this, this thing and I'd seen him a, a few times and I was like, man, that's like, that's so engaging. So anyways, yeah, we, we, we built this band around it. And, you know, on a, I'm not sure if you want me to go deep into the technical sure. aspects of it, but yeah, basically, uh, we use SMPTE as like the, the core timer and that, that sends signals out to all of our ears and, uh, and Rory is obviously kind of like the, <clears throat> the timekeeper of the whole thing, he's the drummer. And, uh, and yeah, we, we just, I tried to focus on the elements that were the most important from the songs and, and take those and push them to the forefront because I think this kind of music is, you know, it's kind of headphone music at a certain point. It's, it's, it's more, when, you know, it doesn't have to be, but it, it can, serve the purpose of being background music very well. You know, if you're, if you're focusing or studying or working or something like that. So that's obviously not what you want in a live context. So <clears throat> I try to take it and punch out these elements and say like, here's the drums, put them right up front and here's the guitars and here's the melody, make it like, you know, way louder than the record. And uh, and so, you know, that's, that's what the show is about is like taking the songs and pushing the energy of them and driving everything a little bit harder when it comes to the sound. You know, we're, we're driving all the preamps harder and we're, uh, we're using tones that probably wouldn't use on the record. But then the interesting thing is, is that after doing that for years, like with Dive, really that wasn't a live record. I, I made all that kind of like by just playing little parts and, and chopping them together. But then Awake, the idea was like, let's try to capture that. And so Rory, you know, was playing drums at the very beginning and, and Zach and I, you know, we were all playing the parts that kind of really playing the whole part and trying to make it feel live. And so the records have slowly kind of like caught up with the live show. And now I feel like with the, the new record, you know, songs like Division and Slack are basically like live songs, you know? Mm -hmm. So that that's, and, and you know, I've pushed <clears throat> the drums way to the forefront and pushed all these elements up front that didn't, that kind of used to hang in the back to try to make it this more visceral, kind of uh, in your face experience. If I don't think in your face would ever be what people would describe <laughs> the music as on the record or live, but still, you know, that's, that's the idea. Well, it's cool and it, it you know, it gets something different. Uh, you know, maybe you know people don't want to go see the live. They don't want the live show to be just a the record playing. Yeah, so that's that. I mean, some people do, and I think, you know, that's the thing is, Tame Impala has always been an interesting uh, kind of reference point for me, and it's just interesting to see their progression. They've kind of, it seems like they've gone on this this kind of cyclical like 
sounds just like the record, sounds super live, sounds like the record. It could have just been the venues and, and the, you know, where I saw them and the day, the day it happened to be. But it's just been interesting to hear those elements come to the forefront and go to the background and, and kind of gauging like, what is it that I want? That's been something that's taught me what I personally wanted out of a live show, just to be able to see the same band do both things multiple times. So, you know, we, we try to, I try to keep a balance with these things. I want the people who really want to hear all those textures and, and all those interesting elements, like on in this big, larger than life space. Um, but then I also want to have it feel live and have there be a connection between what you're seeing and, and what you're hearing instead of like, you know, there's a lot of things where I'm playing a keyboard or a guitar into like 100% wet reverb and delay. And it's like, you really wouldn't even know what's going on. It's just kind of a guy going like this and then you hear this giant swell. Cause you know, a lot yeah, yeah. a lot of the synth parts aren't even synths, they're guitars and, and you know, there's synths sound like guitars and all that stuff. So, you know, those are the things that, that we're trying to translate and uh, and try to find some balance there. But but for the most part, I think we tend towards live, especially now we're working with Peter Franco, the um, engineer, front of house engineer. And uh, he uh, he's really, he worked with, Daft Punk for a long time so like from the studio to the stage like he, he knows like the process of, of making something kind of feel live and like he's I think he's taught me a lot about what people are looking for and what how how things can sound like a studio but still have that like live element to them so we switched like our whole front of house system to to analog and we've we've tried to break as much as we can out of the box and, and done a lot of things to make it be like a, a much more closer connection at least between us on stage with with what people are hearing because I think that was the problem. There was a disconnect where we were playing through all these super saturated, you know, reverbed out channels. And it was kind of like, if you're not feeling it and you're not feeling that visceral connection, then the audience isn't. So so he's kind of helped me unravel the thing and make it a little bit drier and, and more live. And is he actually participating in like the mix of the show in terms of like a dub mix or would, you know, is he participating in the performance outside of the typical front of house? Absolutely, yeah, it's crazy. Actually, and that's, it's so fun to be on stage and like look at him just like he's he's always just like so into it and you can see he's doing all this stuff and you're like that yeah you feel it makes you feel like okay this sounds amazing and this is this is in the moment and this is like the show's never going to sound like it does right now you know tomorrow so yeah he's he's like really pushing those things we used to have everything totally automated and we were going through like uh you know digital mixers with with full automation and actually we used, used to mix it in the box for a long time like it was actually being mixed in reaper all you'd hear in front of the house was just a two channel basically with the with the drums and uh and so yeah it's like it feels it feels like it's a lot more kind of like in your face and i think he pushes the right elements at the right times and, and he makes up for you either not sounding great that night or whatever you know there's a lot of things where you know okay it's like no matter what's going on on stage he's probably making it sound at least decent <laughs> so so yeah that's that's been that's been really cool that's kind of like the fifth member of the band at that right. point you know
kind of going back to, to the record making on this last record, you had Count mix it. What, what do you feel like that, that brings to the table? Well, you know, it was, it was really difficult the first uh, kind of test of that process was was with Dive and that was I met him at a show right before that album was was uh, right when I was finishing that up and he was just like oh I can help you out with this um, this is what I do I mix stuff and at the time I was really looking for that because I, I just felt like I'd really hit the limits of my abilities on on that level and and you know it's by the time you're you're that deep in in a, in a project it's like you have no reference point and you, you really you're un, you're not able to be objective about your own work and uh and plus i just didn't have the technical skills to pull that off so we started working on it but you know he wanted he wanted to put it in pro tools i use reaper and uh he wanted to put it in pro tools so we we did that and we split it out and it was just like so it was just too different like and i had all these you know there's all these inner relationships with side chaining and the compression and the buses and all this stuff in, in reaper that was going on that kind of got blown out of the water so i was just like this this isn't gonna work uh i think a few of the songs ended up making the record um that were done in Pro Tools, but basically the, the bulk of it, we, we took it back into Reaper and I just kind of sat there with him and, and he told me what to do and then slowly he learned it enough to, to use it. And then with Awake, it was the same thing. And then this one, he's pretty he's pretty good at Reaper now. So I just take my computer over to his studio, we set everything up and we just sit down and kind of work through it together. And and, uh, and he does, you know, at this point, it's, it's, it's become a really smooth process. And uh, it's just crazy because like, you have these songs and I, I think the only, it's not a negative thing, it's actually, I mean, it's a very positive thing, but it, by the end of it, you're so ready for these songs to be done. And he does all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, like, all these elements come out, and like, all these problems and things, places where you screwed up become so apparent, because it's not just this, like, muddy wall of sound anymore. So it's like, you know, he puts those, the glasses on the mix, and then you're like, okay, well, we got two more weeks of work <laughs> fixing this shit. And then, uh, and then, you know, so it's kind of a back and forth, but that's the cool thing about him working within Reaper, is I can just take that computer back home, work on the exact same session with the mix in place, and then take it back over to his place. I mean, what part does software play in your recording? You were talking about, I know you use a lot of analog synths, and yep. you just talked about kind of getting back to more analog process in your live show, but obviously there's some software involved. You know, what are you using, and, and uh, what, what role does that play? Yes, yeah, software is it's definitely the biggest, but by far the biggest element of the, the whole process. Um, I always use the analog front end. I mean, obviously you have to use some sort of analog, but I mean, I use like, you know, like Neve preamps or whatever, or, or you know, uh, distressors, like it, mostly for dynamics EQ and, and the, the pre, they're, they're all uh, analog. And then use like a, I use an Aurora converter. And then after that happens pretty much, there's no, or for the last two records, like, with the exception of like really, interesting effects like a Ursa Major reverb or something, there's, there's pretty much no going back out of the box at that point. Um, and you know, we're using all sorts of stuff, you know, the sound toy stuff, waves, uh, UAD, lately I just got into UAD and uh, PSP and all that stuff. And then a ton of soft synths actually, you know, like, you know, I'll play the initial melodies and like the, the meat of it is there and then it's like, well, this should, be, this should have a pad. Especially during the, the later phases, it's like, well, if there's something needed, for the most part, like overdubs, I'll try to do VSTI uh, so I can keep them open-ended and, uh, and, and edit them. But then at the end, um, we do analog summing and, uh, and use, sometimes use like analog bus compression, but, but it's pretty rare. We mostly just do the summing, so we go out through that and then come back into the master bus at Reaper. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the core of it is Reaper, which is a DAW and 
reference boards of Canada and I, I think if there's a closest sibling you, you and boards of Canada and texturally and sonically there's you're using some of the same voices I guess is a absolutely good term. Yeah. it's just the saddest sound ever, <laughs> you know and I hear it on all your records and, and it's certainly the boards of Canada's uh, vibe as well yeah I know it's probably not a particular synth I mean I use the Minimoog a ton uh -huh. on everything and I, I don't know I'm, I'm sure they use that or something similar um, but yeah, I think I think it's that like VHS like kind of tape wobble like old like you know it just sounds like memories or something it sounds <laughs> yeah. like when you're a kid listening to your parents' eight track or something like that. I think there's something to that. You know, there's there's definitely like a a patina or a texture that I that I try to put on a lot of the stuff uh, to give it. You know, it's it's the same with the graphic design. Whereas you know you can design something in Illustrator with like these perfect lines and you can create these posters that are that are like. There's all these stark contrasts and it looks, you know, it just looks like it was created by a computer, but then I'll take it into Photoshop and blur the edges or layer some paper over it and, and use some uh, some sort of process to to make it feel more, almost like a photo of an old poster, which is kind of what the music I want that to be, is I want it to sound like samples. I want the, the actual, make my own playing sound like it was sampled from an old record or something like that. But that's, I think that's becoming less and less. I'm trying to capture what is the, element of that, that that's hitting people and, and having some sort of emotional response and uh, and kind of focus in on that and take away all the dirty artifacts of that process because I feel like those, for me, those were cool and it was a time and place and I, and I enjoyed that, that kind of filtered sound. But more and more, especially with the latest record, I'm trying to get this kind of hi-fi sound while still maintaining those nostalgic kind of familiar elements, but, but strip away like the the ugly things that come along with it. How has the sound of Tycho evolved? I think at the beginning, um, I was definitely going for that Boards of Canada thing where, where it's kind of this like super saturated, like almost uh, like a Polaroid vibe. <clears throat> and uh, and like I was saying, you know, there's gonna be this blur and this this uh, this fading and, and this color shift when you do that. But, but over time, I think I became more and more interested in in the engineering side of it and, and you know definitely count enabled me to be thinking about those things and, and get achieve the vision of having sharpening the edge of all those things while maintaining the, the good elements. So I think that that's a part of it is just the, the, the true texture of the sound, like that the core of, of what it sounds like has, has evolved to be maybe cleaner. Uh, and more focused. And then I think the writing has definitely evolved in a way that, you know, I've, I've worked more and more closely with Zach. And then on the last record, Rory was involved as well. I mean, he played drums on Awake, but he was actually involved in some of the, the songwriting for a couple of the songs on, on the latest record. So I think in that way, it's become more open open to kind of other people's perspectives. And I think it's, it's made it more interesting. And, and I think 
that's been the biggest part of the evolution for me is at the end of the day, these songs are, are the sum total of, of a lot of people's ideas instead of just this one thing that can become, I think over 10 or 12 tracks can become a little bit one note. So I'm, I'm definitely trying to, as much as I can, step into a producer role at, at times where it's just, I'm there to like shepherd this, these, these sounds and these ideas and, and kind of push them into the, the Tycho sphere of, of, uh, of, you know, whatever that means uh, and, and bringing them into that space and putting my, my own textures and stuff on them, but at the same time it not being the original idea, not being mine. I think that there's something interesting about that to me now where I, I think that might be the next phase is, is going more and more into a band uh, space, you know, as far as where, where the ideas come from. Yeah, there's, there's certainly something for, uh, you know, getting sick of yourself, so to yeah. speak, you know, and it's nice to have other people's contributions, and I always feel like any musical project I've ever been involved with, it's always nice to, those are the things that I enjoy hearing, are yeah. other people's ideas, and you, of course, you're, you get, you tire of yourself. Yeah, so. and I think you, I mean, like, remix, doing a lot of remixes uh, taught me a lot about, like, <clears throat> working with an existing idea a lot of times will inspire something that you and you'll come up with an idea and maybe you'll throw that original thing out but it's this framework that you built your idea around and and that's probably more interesting than something you would have come up with right away and that's that's how i've always looked at the music even when it's when it's 100 percent my own song is like try to remix your own music so by the time the thing whatever makes it on the record was hopefully like two steps removed from the original idea i mean there's some things where it's like that piano part that's always going to be there but the rest of the song, like, you know, I like to keep changing it and keep, re you know, starting over basically being like, okay, what is the cool part of the song? Let's just do that again and, but, you know, strip everything else away. So I think that might become a quicker process when you're dealing with an initial idea by somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Great. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Yeah, Appreciate thank it. you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. Mm -hmm.